Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. We're doing a series to start the school year explaining why we have the name for our student ministry that we have. And the series is also talking about things that we can do now and that you can do now in your life spiritually um, to make sure that you grow spiritually during the school year. So we're talking about ways that we should be refueling. So the first one that we talked about was that we need to refuel with God. We need to have a connection with God. Part of what we do is we emphasize connecting with Jesus. So remember I had you turn around and look at the, 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 like kind of the signs that we have back here. So go ahead and do that again. Turn around and look at the signs. Last week we talked about our upward pursuit. We talked about reaching up and connecting with Jesus. Now tonight we're going to talk about our next pursuit and that's connecting with the family of God. Connecting with the family of Jesus. Um, So I have a million guys. I'm I'm, I'm like a doomsday prepper. Like, like I'm ready for anything. Like, Al-Qaeda better not come to my house. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, nobody, no, nobody, for, no, never mind. That would sound too political. But anyway, um, I'm a prepper. So I got plenty, I got plenty of gas cans to go around. I got plenty of gas to go around too, just ask April. But um, uh, so tonight we're talking about connecting with the family of God and why that's important. Uh, I kind of, yeah, you know me, I, I like to think about wh- how do people think about the family of God? You know what I mean by when I say the family of God, right? Other Christians, church. What do people think of when they think of church? I think sometimes people think of like, uh, like stuffiness, like think about people that are like fixing their ties and you have to like dress a particular way and like if you come in with like jeans and a t-shirt on on a Sunday morning, you're going to maybe get, get the side eye, you know, you're going to get you get the look. Um, you know, some, some people, that's what they think of um, when they think of churches. Um, some people, they think of friends. Like the reason you're here tonight may not be because you want to you grow closer to God, it's because you want to grow closer to this girl who comes here so you're here or something to that effect or you want to, you know, you, you want to connect with, with, with some friends. Your friends are all here, so you're here. Uh, another reason that people come, uh, or that people think about church, so you, one thing you, that comes to mind is, yeah, I got all the, you know, the fingers, you know what I'm talking about here, judgment. Um, some people are afraid to, to, to join the family of God because they're afraid that if they come in, people are gonna be pointing that you know, like judgmental uh, finger at them. Another reason that, the thing that people think about at church is they think of Sundays. Like, like Sunday's the big day and some, to some people, church is what you do on Sunday and then you give God Sunday and then like Monday through Saturday is you time. You know, it, it's me time. So some people, when they think of church, they just think of like that, you know, Sunday morning, you know, service. Um, then some people, like, I love buffets. Anybody else love buffets? I mean, I, I, I cried like lamenting tears when go, the golden trough, the golden crowd down here went out of business because of COVID. Um, I, I, was a, I was one sad boy. Um, but some people treat church as kind of like a buffet. You know, like, eh, if I'm not too busy, I may attend. Like, like, if there's nothing else better to do, like, I might connect with the people of God, but I can kind of take it or leave it. That's one of many options on the golden corral buffet, right? And then there's some people, when they think of church, they just think of old people. Anybody else like it? <laughs> like, like when, you, when, you, when you think of church, you think, of like crusty, like you think you think of the smell of Ben Gay wafting through the like the corridors of the church, like 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 you think about like more handicap stickers on cars than there are places to park, like 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 you think about the smell of mothball. Anybody ever been around like an, uh, an old lady that smells like mothballs? Anybody know what I'm talking about with mothballs? Some people think when they think of church. 
They think of old people. Well, what does the Bible say about the people of God? What does the Bible say about church? First, it says that the church is a body. It compares us as the people of God as a body. First Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about how Jesus is the head of the church, but just like there's a body, the bodies have many different parts. The church is made up of people and all those people form the parts of the body. I want to know who the armpit of the church is then. Like, like, who's the armpit of the church? It's probably the one that talks too much and has too many opinions, right? <laughs> like, it's like Uncle Joe who won't shut up about politics. Like, he's the armpit of the church. Anyway, but it also says that the church is a family. Uh, the Bible compares, and, and it's not just a comparison, it's a reality. Romans chapter 8, verse, verse 29 says that, 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 that it was predestined that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We've talked about that before. My friend Chase, who's graduated from Refuel a few years ago, he, he made the acronyms for people of the body of Christ. There's brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. He's be at, you know, Jordan remembers this. You got your Bix and Six, right? You got your, your brothers in Christ and your sisters in Christ. And I don't know if that's a, maybe a term you want to use or not. I'll leave that up to you. But the church is a family. So church is a body that functions together and all the parts work together. Church is a family. But I think a lot of times what teenagers and honestly adults ask too is where do I fit into this and why should I be a part of it? Because if you're like me, I've, I've been coming to church ever since before I was born. <laughs> Anybody else like that? I've been coming to church since before I was born. And I've had good times with the people of God. But to be honest, there have been times where I've been hurt by the people of God. There have been times when people, you know, people have said unkind things to me. People have been judgmental toward me. Uh, you know, people did things I didn't agree with. So the question that you're probably asking and that sometimes I still have to remind myself is why should we connect with the family of Jesus? But tonight, kind of, I always try to boil it down to one particular thing. Tonight, what I want to talk to you about is that we as as a student ministry, we need to refuel with the family of God. The reason we gather on Wednesdays is because we need each other. We don't just need to be in the same building. There are certain things that we should, we should be doing for each other and with each other to encourage each other and to, quote unquote, refuel each other spiritually. So if you have your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And if you've been around here for a while, you know we've done several lessons on the importance of being part of the body of Christ, being part of the family of God. Um, but you're still asking why. Why should I be a part? What I want to do is show you kind of a short little story. It's not a very um, famous story in the Bible. You know, it's not like a David and Goliath or Moses in the Red Sea. It's not a David and Bathsheba type scenario. It's one that most people don't read, most people aren't familiar with. But in this short little story, you learn why it's so important that we refuel with the family of God. So in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 15. It says, you're aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus, imagine having that as a name, right? Phygelus, and Hermogenes. Imagine having that as your name, right? May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Imagine having that name. I think I'd go by Oni. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know well all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So who in the world are Phygelus and Hermogenes? Who is this Onesiphorus guy? And what in the world was going on? You may have heard, if you've come to refuel for any period of time, you've heard about a guy named Paul. The Apostle Paul. He was an eyewitness to Jesus Christ. He had a really wild story. He went from killing Christians um, to helping people become Christians. God changed his life. And 
Paul was preaching the gospel at a time when it was not very popular at all to preach the gospel. And they're like, you gotta stop that. You gotta shut up. And Paul's like, I ain't gonna shut up. So they put Paul in prison. They thought the first time would do it for him. But guess what? Paul gets out of prison. He, you know what he does as soon as he gets out of prison? He's preaching the gospel again. So they send him up to Rome. And they put him in this prison called the Mamertine Prison. And what this prison was, it was a hole in the ground. And they just throw prisoners down in this hole in the ground. They wouldn't give him food. Sometimes they drop some food down there. Not to be gross, but they didn't have a place to go to the bathroom. You can imagine how terrible it smelled. The only time they would have light in that prison is when a guard would, it was almost like a, like a, like a, sewer, uh, a sewer trap cover, you know what I mean, like in the roads, when the guard would pull that cover off to, to, to bring one of the prisoners out for death. It was, a, it was death row. It was a place where people would go to die. That was the only light they would see. So Paul is in this prison, this terrible, terrible prison, and he knows that the next time he leaves that prison, he's gonna be going to either get his head chopped off or some terrible way to die because he would not stop t- telling people about Jesus when it was illegal to do so. And it might surprise you, or it might not surprise you if you know many Christians, that a lot of the people who were really close to Paul, his Christian friends, they deserted him. That's what Phygelus and Hermogenes did. They were like, Paul, you're my brother from another mother. And when Paul got put in prison, they pieced out of his life. But there's this one guy who stuck with him named, of all things, Onesiphorus. From now on, I'm calling him Oni because it's just shorter, saves time. Oni would not give up on Paul. He went to Rome and he searched for Paul and he found him in this prison and he refreshed Paul. This is probably the closest word I can find in the Bible to refuel. Um, So I think it really works for what we're doing here. And I want to talk a little bit about why we should be a part of the family of God and what it looks like to be a part of the family of God and taking care of each other and loving each other and refueling not just on Wednesdays, but throughout the rest of the week. So there's some things that we learn in this story. And the first one is really wordy. Some of you are note takers. You're going to you're gonna be mad at me. You're gonna shoot darts at me with your beady eyes when you see how long this first point is. It's usually not, but we do have F words to finish the night. So just hang on tight, they're coming. Um, But the first thing that we learn from this story is that the times people need us the most are also the times we're most tempted to run away from them. What did Paul need? Being alone in this prison cell. He needed a friend. Have you ever been in a terrible situation? Like, like your life is going downhill so quickly and the, 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 the only thing that you need, you just need someone to be with you. You need a friend. You need someone to sit in the mess with you. And the sad thing is, Paul had dedicated his life. He went from city to city to city, telling people about God, about Jesus, how they can be saved, starting churches, pouring out his life to loving these new Christians so they could grow up in Jesus. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people owed their spiritual lives to Paul. And here he is by himself in a prison cell. It was more, we learn later in this book, it was more than just Phygelus and Hermogenes, P and H, I'll abbreviate their names, Phygelus and Hermogenes, who turned their back on Paul. There were a whole lot of other people too. We read later in the, in the book, he says, Demas fell in love with this present world and he's forsaken me. Tim Yates preached a sermon on, <laughs> Jordan knows wrong. Tim Yates preached a sermon on Demas on a Sunday morning, the Sunday morning I had COVID. 
And I wasn't at church, so Jordan and Wyatt and this guy named Andrew Steele, they started calling me Demas because I didn't show up at church because I had COVID. I wasn't very kind, wasn't very compassionate, wasn't very way to take care of your bit, your brother in Christ. Um, but, but all these people, they, they turned their back on the Apostle Paul, even though he poured out his life to them. Why would they do that? You know, it was not popular at that time to be a Christian. I wrote down some interesting things that, 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 that we don't think about today. In the Roman mind, you know, the, Rome was in control of the whole world. Crucifixion, the way Jesus died, was considered the most disgraceful way to be killed at the time. And the Apostle Paul and the other Christians were going around sharing the news and claiming allegiance to this guy who was crucified. In the most disgraceful way, he was put to death. And people just couldn't imagine giving their allegiance to somebody who died that way. There was actually, um, they found in, 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 in a cave, ancient Roman graffiti making fun of Christians. And on the graffiti, it was a terrible graffiti, it was, it, depicted a man hanging on the cross with a donkey as his head and wrote underneath it, this man worships his God, like sarcasm. Make, Christians were, the, were, were like the, the kick line of every joke at the time. So it was socially, yeah, it was socially like a big problem to be a Christian. It was legally sometimes a big problem to be a Christian. So all these people who saw Paul get put in prison, who were supposed to be Paul's brothers and sisters in Christ, they're like, eh, if I am seen with Paul in prison, they may put me in that prison too. So I'm a piece out of Paul's life. But isn't it interesting that it's not just Phygelus and it's not just Hermogenes and it's not just Demas who sometimes turn or tempted to turn away and run away from Christians in their time of need. Sadly, many of us as Christians still do that today. We find out that somebody's, somebody's like, somebody they loved passed away and we're like, I really feel like I should go to that funeral. But like, I, it's, funeral homes are creepy. Like they're like dead people in there. And if I go, I'm not gonna know what to say. Like, do I just say sorry and walk out? Do I hug? Do I not hug? I can't, you don't give high fives at funerals, right? Like, like what, what, what do I do? So we just run away. You have a friend whose parents are going through a really difficult time and, and, and sp maybe splitting up or there's, there's situations going on in their life, like difficult times in a family and you hear about that and you're like, Man, I don't know if I want to talk about that with my friend. I don't know if I want to be close to my friend because my friend's start, now starting to get a little bristly. You notice when people are going through a little, like tough times, they get a little bristly. You know what I mean by bristly? Like they get mad a little more easy. They lash out a little more often. And sometimes when people are like that and people are going through difficult times in their life and maybe they're a little salty. Maybe they're not the nicest people to be around. We're like, I'm out. Sometimes people, you, our friends, get caught up in sin, get caught up in sinful lives and we're like, I don't know if I should like be their friend or if I should stay away. Maybe I should just run. Oftentimes when people need us the most, when they need us in their lives, just like Paul needed someone in his life, we're tempted to run away. And before we move on, we have to acknowledge that, right? Are you following me with this? Like, like it is so tempting sometimes just to turn away and run away from difficult situations in the lives of people we know and love, even Christians. So we just have to set that up first. But then the next thing that we learn as we're going through this is here's the good news. 
It takes zero talent to refuel your brothers and sisters in Christ. I was thinking of zero talent and I Googled zero talent and this picture came up. I don't know. Like, 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 like I, I, I can't explain it. Like, like, like I Googled zero talent. This guy came up. Um, you, know, you know what I hate is I've watched this guy my whole life. I was trying to think of a word to say to describe him. All I can say is guy. Watched this guy my whole life. I thought he was done. I have to endure another season with him. That's all I want to say about that guy. We're not going to, we, we don't mention his name in here. Um, but we think about, we think about what, how can we help someone? We think we need talent. We need a, a degree in counseling to help this person. So we can counsel them through a problem. Yeah, this, this person is, is, is having a health problem. We, we, we need a medical degree to help solve this, per, give this person a diagnosis and, and help them. We, we think we need some kind of like special talent. We think you, 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 some people, what they do is they say, my, Matt, my friend is really having trouble. I was wondering if maybe you could talk to him since you're a pastor. Like, like I've got an ordination certificate in my office hanging on my wall. Like that help, like, like that, that, that is going to make me any better at refueling your brother or sister in Christ. Here's the good news. I, I've seen it in, in coaches' offices, in locker rooms. Have you ever seen that list that says things that take zero talent? You ever seen that? It's like showing up on time, having a good attitude, like all this. Did you know it takes zero talent to refuel your brothers and sisters in Christ? What's incredible about this story about, her, about, um, about um, Onesiphorus, we'll call him Oni, is that the things that he did that we can see that he did they require zero talent. Every single person sitting here tonight can do every one of these things that Onesiphorus did for Paul. But before we do that, I want to do a deep dive. Will you, will you humor me here for a second? Everybody still with me? Everybody still with me? Will you, I want to do a deep dive into this word refresh. Let me go back to, let me go back to this here and I want, I want you to show, I want to show this to you. It says, Onesiphorus often refresh me. What in the world does it mean to refresh someone? Like sometimes I think of like the breath spray, you know, you know like when you have bad breath. Any of y'all know someone that just has the worst breath? Have any of y'all noticed old men have the worst breath? Does anybody, like an old man comes up to you and talks to you and you're just like, like, like you could almost chew on it. It's so bad. Anyway, um, what does it mean to be refreshed? Does it mean to have, to, to give somebody like mouthwash, deodorant, like, what does it mean to be refreshed? There's something interesting about this particular word right here, refreshed. It's the only time it appears in the New Testament. It's the only time this particular you know, word is in the Greek appears in the, the New Testament. There's a word for that that scholars use. It's called hapax legonomai. Um, you don't need to know that. But here's what we can do. We can look up this word. We can see how it was used in the Old Testament in the Hebrew that was translated into Greek. And there are five passages in the Old Testament that use this same word and it helps us to understand what it means to refresh somebody and what it feels like when you get refreshed. So I wanna illustrate this here just for a minute. Let me bring up my list here. The first thing that we learn, this word for refresh means, is it means to smile. How many of you are really good at faking a smile. Anybody? Well, yeah, I'm really good. I want you to look to the person next to you. Give them the, 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 your best fake smile. Give them a good fake smile. Okay? Give me a good fake smile. Okay. So, some of you are really good at it. Your fake smile usually shows up in family pictures that you're, you don't want your mom to take. Right? So, now I want you to look at somebody and I want you to give them a legit smile. You might have to, you might have to make them laugh. 
You might have to look at them goofy here to get them to smile, but you know, like give them a real smile, okay? In, in, in Psalm 39, verse 13, David is praying to God and he says, look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and no more. It's the smile that returns to your face after a long, t it's a real smile that comes after weeks and weeks and weeks and sometimes months and years of having a fake smile. That's what this word means. The next way that we see this word appear in the Old Testament is in uh, 1 Samuel 16, 23, and it talks about, it, it compares being refreshed to hearing a happy song. What's the happiest song in the world? What's the happiest song in the world? That, that's a happy song. Anybody want to sing it for me? No. What's another happy song? What's the song that when you start singing it, everybody just starts singing along? Happy birthday. Oh, in West Virginia, you start singing Country Roads, you start having a revival, right? You start, ha like, we'd have people on the altar right now if I just started singing Country Roads, right? But there are certain, there are certain songs that when you, when, when, when you pull it up in your car and you're driving and the windows are down, it just, it, it, it refreshes you. And what we see here is that Saul... King Saul in the Old Testament, he had an evil spirit on him. He was very depressed. And David would play this lyre. It was a stringed instrument. He'd play this lyre. And the music that David played refreshed Saul's spirit. So it's like a song that brings you joy. It's about to get real here. Some of this, you, this is your favorite. Is that it's like a pillow. Man, isn't, is, is there anything better than at the end of a long day? Yeah. You take a shower, you hop in a shower, you're nice and clean, you put your PJs on, and you just, and, and your mom has just washed the sheets for your bed, so they're all nice and tight, and you just slide into your bed, and you put your head on the pillow. Read this. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and that your servant woman, and that the alien may be refreshed. Refreshed has to do with being Rested. It's like a pillow. So when you refresh your brother and sisters in Christ, it helps them find rest. Who here needs some rest tonight? Maddox. Okay. And here's one of my favorites. This word for refresh can refer to a cold drink. Look at these two instances where being refreshed had to do with getting a nice, refreshing drink of water. God split open the hollow place at Lehi. Water came out of it. And when he drank, his spirit returned and he revived. It's talking about Samson. When he drank, his spirit returned and he revived. That's that word, that same word that we use for refresh. The final one, and the king and all the people, this is talking about David, arrived with him. They arrived weary at the Jordan. And there he refreshed himself. Who here likes sweet tea? Who here likes sweet tea? You know, when, I, when you're out working real hard, there's nothing better. <laughs> Congratulations, Miles. Sorry, I was trying to get one back there to you. Um, so when, when, you're, when you're hot, you've been working out in the yard, or you, you, and, you, and, and there's this like, not just sweet tea, but it's like, like the glass or the bottle. There's like the condensation just rolling off of the bottle. That first gulp feeling. 
when the Apostle Paul, oh, what happened there? There we go. When the Apostle Paul is talking about how Onesiphorus refreshed him, he's talking about it made him feel like when his favorite, not the Apostle Paul lived on the, yeah, had a radio, but when his favorite song came on the radio, it made, it made him feel like the feeling he felt when his head hit the pillow and he got rest. It made him feel like he had a legit smile to give. And it made him feel like he had a cold drink of water. And here's the incredible thing is that it takes, like we were talking about, it takes zero talent to refuel your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at the three things Onesiphorus did. Look at them. Should I, put, should I bring the verses back up? How do I don't keep doing that? Um, look at them. It says, first it says, he refreshed me often. He often refreshed me. Should I highlight that? He often refreshed me. That's the first thing that he did. He often re refreshed me. He was consistent. He did it all the time. This wasn't just like a one-time thing. This, I gotta be careful the way I said. This wasn't just like a mission trip for Onesiphorus. Mission trips are great, but it wasn't like he just said, oh, here I am. I'm giving clothes to the Apostle Paul. And then he just totally left him high and dry. It says he often refreshed. He kept coming back and he kept coming back and he kept coming back. That's one of the reasons the Bible tells us that we should be gathering very frequently. And the closer we get to Jesus coming back, Hebrews 10, that we should keep gathering and more and more and more. We need to get together more, not less. Because it's getting harder and harder and harder every day to be a Christian. Isn't it? Would you agree with that? So he refreshed me often. You know what else? Anyone can be loyal. It says, he was not ashamed of my chains. He was loyal. Um, some of you know what it's like to have a friend that you thought was loyal. And that turns out they weren't as loyal to you as you thought they were. Onesiphorus was loyal. And you know what? It takes zero talent to be loyal. And then the final thing, it says, when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. He didn't put Paul's Mamertine prison address in his phone and just take a road trip to Rome. He didn't know where the apostle Paul was. He had to go around knocking on doors, looking for an imprisoned person who if he knocked on the wrong door and told the wrong person that he was looking for Paul, he could maybe get thrown in prison himself. You see some urgency here, right? He's saying, I've got to get to Paul. I've got to get to him. He needs me. Nobody else is with him. I've got to get to him. You know what? It takes zero talent to be urgent. I should have written these down. He was consistent. And it takes zero talent I'm a shy speller. I don't spell very well when y'all are watching me. Uh, he was consistent. It takes zero talent to be consistent. He was loyal. It takes zero talent to be loyal. And he was urgent. It takes zero talent to be urgent. You think that you don't have anything to offer the people in this room? Everything that God has put in your life, all the experiences you have, all the spiritual gifts he's given you, he gave them to you to share with the people that you're in the room with right now. And there are people here tonight that really need to be refreshed. There's a, uh, uh, I, I've been, 
I, f- I feel like a little kid. I'm, I went back to school. I'm, I'm, I'm going back. I'm in college again, and I'm in a, uh, a program where I'm with some other pastors and youth pastors. And, and one of uh, the, the guys I'm in a program with, he used to be a, a, like a lifeguard at the beach. Like, I feel like it'd be a pretty awesome job. Um, and he's been a youth pastor for like 30 years. He took his, his student ministry on a mission trip to South Africa. Talk about a plane ride, guys, South Africa. And, and there's, a, there's a big, like, kind of gar- at the beach. He, they had a fun day. They went to the beach. There's a big guard tower there. And he said there's not a li- He thought it was a lifeguard tower, but what he found out was it's, like, the most common, um, the most common uh, shark attack area in, in, in the world. So they didn't have a lifeguard. They had a shark watcher. If you were drowning, you're on your own, but they're looking for sharks. So he was there and he saw that one of the students in his ministry had gotten pulled into a riptide. Nobody else had noticed it and was drifting off to sea and was slowly bobbing in the water and was running out of strength and could not keep himself up. So his lifeguard training kicked in and he was able to go, you go out and rescue his student. And as he was talking about, he said that he's, he had done in the course of his, his, his time as a lifeguard, seven, uh, seven, seven water rescues. Um, and he, he said that one thing most people don't realize is that the people who need to be rescued, the people who are drowning, they're not the ones that are like flailing in the water. Like on the movies, you know, you always see this person, this kid in the pool, he's just going, you know, going like this. He said, the people who need rescues, he said, all of my rescues, all of my water rescues came from people who were just drifting away. I wrote it down because I didn't want to forget it. He said, all my water rescues came from people who weren't thrashing, but swimming and slowly losing strength and going under. And I thought, I asked him to say it again because I was like, I need to write this down. Because I was like, that is exactly how our brothers and sisters in Christ go under. That's exactly how the people in this room are going to drown. Every once in a while, you have somebody just coming in, you know, in the words of somebody, like a wrecking ball, just like thrashing around, wild. But mo- most of the time, and some of you are experiencing this right now, you're just doing your best to keep your head above water. You're trying to blend in. You don't want people to know what's going on at home. You don't want people to know what's going on inside you. You don't want people to know what you're struggling with because you don't want to be singled out. You're doing your best to tread water, but you're just slowly, slowly, slowly losing strength. Did you know there are people in here tonight that that's, the, that's their case? That's what's going on with them? And they need you to refresh them. They need you to refuel them. And it takes zero talent for you to refuel them. So there's one more thing, one more observation, and then we're gonna get to our F words and we're gonna get out of here. The way that we refuel each other will echo in eternity. There's this one thing that we haven't talked about yet. He says in verse 18 about Oni, about Onesiphorus, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. What day is he talking about? Is he talking like 4th of July, Christmas? Oh, Thanksgiving hunting season and apple pie. Man, it's a good time. Is, it, it, what's he, what's, who, what is he talking about? What is that day? He uses it many times in this book. He's talking about the day that people come face to face with Jesus. You know, God's word says in Hebrews chapter nine, it's appointed unto people once to die and then after that, the judgment. We will all face judgment after we die. And there are two, there are two different judgments 
And what you do with Jesus determines which of those judgments you appear before. Those, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, who have trusted Jesus as our Savior, the Bible says in First and Second Corinthians that we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're not gonna be judged on whether or not we get into heaven and we spend eternity with God. We're gonna be judged on the, the, the works that we did for God and he will reward us for those works. Those who did not put their faith in Jesus, we read about that in Revelation chapter 20. They stand before the great white throne judgment and everyone whose name is not found in the, the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. We, we read about these two judgments in the Bible and Paul's talking about that first judgment. He's talking about Onesiphorus who trusted in Jesus as his savior. He has a home in heaven when he died and one day he's gonna be face to face with Jesus and he says that because of the mercy that he showed me, I want God to show mercy to him because he invested in the right things. You know, I've um, got to spend a lot of time with a missionary in the Dominican Republic. Some of you have met him named Gary Hale and Gary has, a, has something that he likes to say as he shows people around the country and we see the need of the people there. He says there are three things that will matter in eternity. God, his word, and the souls of men and women. And you know what we see here is that Onesiphorus, I don't know what else he did with his life, but he got one thing right. He realized that what he did for Paul and what he did for his brothers and sisters in Christ will matter in eternity. I wrote it down this way. As Christians, our lives will not be evaluated by our jobs, our championship, or our social status, but by the people we've impacted. There are people tonight that need you to reach out to them. The question is, will you do it? You can say, Matt, how do I do that? How, what do I do with like something that's as heavy as this? Well, the good news is I've got F words for you. Write them down. The first thing we need to do is we need to find those who are missing. Just like Onesiphorus searched for Paul, look around. I'm not being like, like hypothetical. I'm like, look around. Who's missing? Who should be here that's not here? Next question you need to ask is where are they? What's going on in their lives? Maybe you need to reach out to somebody who was in your tag last year that's not here tonight. Where are they? Find those who are missing. The second, kind of had to work this, commit to flocking with the people of God. We need to flock together. We need to be like, have you ever watched the, like when there's this big group of birds and they all like turn exact same moment? Like it's incredible, right? We need to flock together. We need to be together. You know, some of you, you if, if you were to see somebody else from, from, from our student ministry in the hallways of your school, you'd be like, and if they, would be, if they would say hi to you, you'd be like, and your friend would be like, who's that? Hey, there's an extra sweet tea in here. Anybody want an extra sweet tea? I'll try again for the back. Way to go. If, if some of you saw, the, saw somebody from Refuel in the halls of your school, you'd be like, you'd try to avoid them. And, and if they said hi to you, your friend would be like, who's that? Oh, just somebody to go to church with, right? What if, what if when you saw them and your friend's like, who's that? He's like, hey, that's my Bic. That's my sick. That's my brother in Christ. That's my sister in Christ. We're, we've both been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. So we have this special bond that nobody else can have unless they're in the family of God. We need to commit to being together. It's harder and harder and harder to ever, than ever to be a Christian. We need to be together. Um, the next one is know the name, personality, and story behind every face at Refuel. I'm gonna tell you again, look around. 
Just look around. Stare, stare people in the face if you need to. Look, look, at, look at the faces. Look at one face that, you've never, that, that you don't know the name behind. Look at one face that you don't know the personality behind. Look at one face that you don't know the story behind. We need to get to know each other. We need to be involved in each other's lives. Um, one of my professors um, in, in college, uh, he led our spiritual life department. He said a really good way to get to, get to know people is to remember, there's, there's, there's an acronym I don't know if I should get into this or not. Uh, there's an acronym. I'm running out of time, but. You learn their name. You learn the address. Where do you live? Where do you go to school? You learn their kin. You know what kin means? It's like family, right? Like, do you have brothers and sisters? Do you, have, you, you live with your mom, your dad, your grandparents? Um, e is kind of, we kind of have to fudge that one. Electronic. Communication. It's a fancy way of saying Adam on Snap. Um, and then D is their dreams. What do they want to be? What do they want to major in? What do they, where do they see their life going? If some of you got to know using this acronym that you would probably never forget, right? You got to know people in your youth group, you would realize you have a lot more in common. And we're all go, go, trying to get to the same direction. We're all trying to grow in Jesus together. Um, the next one is if you're drowning, if, if tonight when I was talking about the person that was drowning and that sounded exactly like you, reach out to the family of God. You know how I said a lot of times the people that, that, that need us the most are the people we're tempted to run away from? The flip side of that is the times that we need peop, the people of God the most are the times that we're most often tempted to run away from them because we're ashamed to let them in our lives. God has brought us together for a reason. And if you're here tonight and you need somebody to be with you, you need help, you need a friend, please reach out. Reach out to the person sitting next to you or reach out to a leader. And the final one, put your faith in Jesus and join the fam. You know, some of you, I was describing those two judgments, right? And it was more, you're like, man, I, I don't know which of those I'm gonna be at because I've never, there's never been a time in my life I put my faith in Jesus. This isn't just theory, this is real stuff. Jesus died on a cross and reconciled us back to God. He made a way for us to be made right with him. Jesus paid the sin penalty that we deserve to pay on the cross so that we could be made right with him. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? We would love for you to join our family tonight. So I'm about out of time. But before, uh, before we pray and before we get out of here, um, I just wanna, I've been trying to end a little early and I did tonight so that I can give you a moment. So go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. This isn't some like crazy, like turn the screws down on, try to get you to make some kind of decision. But we're so busy, we never have a moment to spend with God by ourselves. So as you have your head bowed and your eyes closed, I, I, wanna, I wanna ask you just a couple questions. And, 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 and the first question is, maybe tonight you, when I was describing the whole drowning thing, <laughs> um, you, there's somebody on your heart and there's somebody on your mind you know that is going through a difficult time and you, you, you wish you could do more for them. Um, I wanna join you in praying for that person. Uh, yeah, you don't need to give me their name. You don't need to give me anything about them. Um, but if there's somebody in your life that needs help and I can join you in praying for them, I'm not gonna call on you, embarrass you. I'm just gonna see your hand and say thank you and you can put your hand down. But if there's somebody in your life that really needs somebody else in addition to you praying for them, will you just put your hand up so I can know to, know to pray for you and your friend. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. The next question I want to ask is, and I'm not going to have you raise your hand for this, but when I was describing the whole drowning thing, did that sound like you?
Is there a situation in your life that you just feel like you can barely keep your head above water and you're so, so scared to let somebody in on that situation? I'm not gonna ask you to put your hand up or do anything, but I do wanna ask you to do this. Uh, when we dismiss here in a minute, um, I'm gonna be at the back door. Uh, we'll have leaders kind of throughout the auditorium. If there's something going on in your life that you just need someone to remember in prayer, will you come find me? Will you find April? Will you find uh, one of the leaders? And just, you don't have to go into super detail if you don't want to, but just quickly explain how we can pray for you this week. The final thing I wanna ask is, maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus and, and there's not a time in your life you can go back to and say, this is when I trusted in Jesus and I know that I'm saved, I know I'm going to heaven, I know I have new life. If you wanna make that commitment tonight, if you wanna put your trust in Jesus tonight, I wanna encourage you to do it here in this moment right now. There's no magic prayer that you can say that, that, that saves you. It's the attitude of your heart. It's the trusting in Jesus. Um, sometimes people vocalize that trust in prayers and maybe you could vocalize it by saying something to the effect of Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I need you. And I'm trusting in your death on the cross as being a payment for my sin. Um, please give me new life. Give me the strength to follow you as the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus or if you, and, and you, you prayed that prayer, um, there's a Bible that I'd just like to put in your hands. And if you'll find me or one of the leaders afterwards, we're just gonna give you that Bible and say congratulations. We're not gonna make a big deal of it, not gonna embarrass you, but we'd love to celebrate with you and give you something to get you started on your walk with Jesus. Uh, so I'm gonna pray and we're gonna put somebody in the middle and we're gonna get out of here. So let's pray. Now God, thank you so much for this time we have together. Um, God, we do need each other. We need to refuel with the family of God and you've placed us all here together. We all have different talents and abilities, but Lord, really what it comes down to is us just being willing, about us caring. And God, I pray that as we learn this story of Onesiphorus who reached out to Paul when nobody else would, and God, I pray that we'll do the same for the people that are in the room tonight and the people that are missing tonight. And God, thank you for Jesus and thank you that it's only through him that we're a part of the family of God. So I pray that as we leave, we'll be grateful. Um, but as we leave, we'll also be looking for people that we can refresh, that we can refuel, that we can encourage. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.